Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Paul Gray here. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And personally, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is, is where I live in Lawrence, Kansas, in the middle of the United States, spring is here. It started warming up today. We're going to have days in the 60s and 70s next week when I'm recording this. My wife and I went for a nice walk today. The bad news is, as you may be able to tell from my voice, <clears throat> it's allergy season. So uh, on the grand scale of things of good news and bad news, that hardly registers. But if you detect a little difference in my voice today, you know what it is now. All right. Well, today I want to tell you about a friend of mine, a phrase that he used this week. He said his favorite exorcism is when Jesus cast the devil out of our image of God. That's from my friend Richard Murray, who I've interviewed several times on this podcast, and many of you are familiar with Richard and his great teaching and his great way of researching things and explaining them so we can understand them. His favorite exorcism is when Jesus cast the devil out of our image of God. In the Protestant tradition, which is my background, we don't talk much about exorcisms. Now, I do remember seeing the movie The Exorcism some 45 or 50 years ago, which was not a pleasant thing. I wouldn't recommend it. But an exorcism. Here's what Richard was referring to. It's recorded in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17. Now, Jesus had been doing his public ministry for some time. He had the 12 disciples. He had a bunch of other followers that ranged sometimes from just a few up to a lot. And one particular time, he sent them out, a group of 70 or 72 of them, different versions say different amounts. He sent them out on a, uh, a missionary tour to the Jews to tell them about the real God, the only true God, to tell them what Jesus had taught them and what Jesus had been saying. So here's how Dr. Luke records it. Luke chapter 10, starting verse 17. I'm going to first read to you from the Passion Translation. Luke says, when the 70 missionaries returned to Jesus, they were ecstatic with joy, telling him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us, when we commanded them in your name. Jesus replied, while you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. <laughs> Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning. Now, I will say that phrase, while you were ministering, doesn't appear to be there in most of the manuscripts. Jesus just flat out says, I saw Satan fall. 
Now, the word Satan almost always when it's used in biblical text is is not a noun. It's an adjective. It's a descriptor. Usually it means, and it is translated this way lots of times. It can be translated this anytime. It means deceiver, accuser, liar, thief, condemner, slanderer, tempter, judge, enemy. The Greek word is satanos, but translators have a wide variety of ways that they can translate that, and any one of those would generally be correct. Now, unfortunately today, certainly in Jesus' time, many people of other religions, you know, the sun god, the moon god, the monkey god, whatever god they worshiped, people still worship all of those gods today, but even the Jews who had an undifferentiated opinion of God and still attributed Satan to being sort of God's dirty deeds guy or his uh, the guy he would send out to do his dirty work. A lot of them perceived God as being someone who kept a record of wrongs, who was ready to punish them, who would accuse them, who would condemn them. Well, Jesus came to show us who he calls the only true God, his father, who was completely different than that. And as Jesus lived and taught, the only true God doesn't do any of those things, doesn't condemn, doesn't accuse, doesn't lie about us, doesn't deceive us, doesn't slander us, doesn't tempt us, doesn't judge us, doesn't steal from us. Two totally different concepts of deity there. And at that particular time, a lot of people thought that, well, yes, God is good, but he's also like all of these other things too. Unfortunately, religion still propagates that lie in many different forms of religion. The Satanos that Jesus saw fall was our false perception of God. If you will, as Richard Murray said, his favorite exorcism is when Jesus cast out or exercised our false perception of God. That's what the disciples were doing. Empowered by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they were going around to the countryside, to different people's houses and communities, and telling them what God was really like. Some of them were not willing to hear And Jesus said, no problem, just shake the dust off your feet and uh, go on to another house where they're ready to receive the blessing of what's already true for them. So when Jesus said he saw Satan fall, I think my friend Richard is right. For the first time in the history of humanity since Adam and Eve, people were starting to accept the fact, to believe the fact, to change their perception, to metanoia, to change their mind about what God was really like. At that time, as we know from other Bible stories, New Testament stories, people thought, because religion taught, that a person was blind because God made them blind because of sins that they committed or their family members committed. They thought a person was lame or a person was crippled or a person had mental illness because God was punishing them because of sins that they had done. Well, 
Jesus taught them a totally different version of God. Again, not everybody was willing to receive that, and and unfortunately today, many people think, well, God's teaching me a lesson. He caused me to be in an accident that broke my arm, or he did this or did that. No, God doesn't do that. (laughs) He just doesn't do that. Not the God of Jesus, not the God who Jesus is the exact replica of. So let's go back to Luke 10, 17. Jesus said, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. He says, now you understand that I have imparted to you my authority to trample over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power. Now, again, we don't know exactly if there were demons. We don't know the power of a devil. We don't know if this was an actual force or if these things Jesus was saying were symbolic or metaphors. We still don't know that today. Everybody has their opinions. I have my opinion. You have yours. But we really don't know. We'll know one day. So he said, you will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power. Now, Brian Simmons, the translator in his footnotes here, say the Greek text is literally snakes and scorpions rather than demons and powers. What are they? We don't know. Those are emblems, he says, or emblematic of demonic powers. But Jesus says, absolutely nothing will harm you when you walk in my authority. Then he says, however, your real source of joy is not merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but your real source of joy should be that your names are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. This is the true source of your authority. Now, is there an actual journal that has each person's name on it in heaven? I don't know. God is all-knowing doesn't seem to me like he'd need to have a list or a journal to remember it by. I think more it's a metaphor, if you will. But we've been studying Ephesians 1, which we'll get back to next week, that tells that we were all included in God's family before the creation of the world. We were adopted as sons and daughters. We were in the family. He's our father. So I don't believe there actually has to be an actual list or a book with our name on it, but you can believe whatever you want there. Obviously, you can believe whatever you want about anything. You don't have, don't take my word for it, for sure. You know, study. Most of all, listen to the teacher in you, the Holy Spirit, and ask the Holy Spirit, you know, what do you want me to know about this? I'm thinking of different people that I've talked about recently about the sin of certainty. Uh, One of the things that many of us who were caught up into religion, uh, besetting or sin of us was having to be right, having to prove our right, having to have a whole bunch of scriptures that we could quote that proved that we were right about something in the very face of an equal number or even more scriptures that said contrary. But I digress. All right. The true source of our authority, Jesus says, is that we're in God's family. Then, verse 21, Jesus, overflowing with the Holy Spirit's joy, exclaimed, Father, thank you. For you are Lord supreme over heaven and earth. You have hidden the great revelation of this authority from those who are proud, those wise in their own eyes, and you've shared it with those who have humbled themselves. And that's what had happened to the disciples, his followers who came to Jesus, who'd grown up in a religious system. They humbled themselves. They were willing to change their minds and to listen to what God himself had to say. 
Jesus went on, Yes, Father, this is what pleases your heart, to give these things to those who are like trusting children. And Jesus says in other places, we need to be like little children to be able to accept what's true about God because we've been taught all of these false things. He says, Father, you've entrusted me with all that you have. No one fully knows the Son except the Father, and no one fully knows the Father except the Son. But the Son, Jesus, is able to reveal the Father to anyone he chooses. And he chooses to reveal him to all of us. All of us have the opportunity to choose to believe him or not. We may not believe him in this life, but there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, not be forced to, but will because we come to know the truth and we've been willing to change our mind. Now, I'm going to give you the same passage, Luke 10, 17, and going on through 21, in the Mirror Translation. This is Francois Dutoit's version. Here he says the 72. Again, whichever uh, one of the manuscripts you look at, some have 70, some have 72. He said, the 72 returned with much excitement and exclaimed, Lord, even the demons were subject to us at the mention of your name. Jesus responded, I often contemplate the extent of Satan's demise having fallen from the heavens like the flash of a shooting star. Francois goes on to say in his footnotes, the Greek words there means that Jesus would often contemplate the fact that the entire industry of condemnation and accusation was defeated in the downfall of Satan, and that anyone who discovers their redeemed identity will witness the results. Now, I want you to contemplate that for a minute. Anytime you encounter condemnation and accusation from a spiritual entity, that's not from God. God does not accuse. God does not condemn. Paul actually writes in Romans 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he writes in many places, we are all in Christ Jesus. So if you feel condemned or accused, don't buy into religion's lie that that's the Holy Spirit telling you how bad you are. The Holy Spirit does not do that. God does not do that. No matter what the preacher or Bible study leader or somebody on TV told you. God does not condemn. God does not accuse. Evil does, and people who perpetuate evil do. They judge you and condemn you and accuse you, and unfortunately, many of them are religious people. All right, enough said on that. Verse 19 in the mirror, Jesus says, See, I have given you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and every powerful symbolic disguise of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means nullify your authentic identity. Nothing can stop us, folks, when we know our authentic identity. No condemnation or accusation or anything can stop us from knowing who we are and taking joy and comfort and being at peace in who we are when we know our authentic identity. Jesus says, your likeness is secured in me. 
Not only is Jesus the fulfillment of the prophetic word in Genesis 3, 15, of the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head, and Francois says there, that word is ophis, O-P-H-I-S, maybe that's a Greek word, which means the mindset of accusation based upon the deception of an inferior identity. I believe that's where the accusations come from. They come from our own mind based on an inferior identity we have, thinking that we are not when we really are. We are I am. We are not I am not. Francois goes on to say that perfect active infinitive tense, when this was said, makes the gift irreversible. It's something that happened at a point in time that continues forever. He says that nothing will ever have what it takes to nullify your authentic identity. All right, let me skip some of the translation things here and go on. Uh, Verse 20, Jesus says, But much more important than your excitement about spirits being subject to you in my name, I want you to rejoice in the awareness that your names are engraved in the heavens. It's time for you to rediscover who you are from heaven's perspective. And that's what we're all about today, learning ourselves, rediscovering, and then helping other people rediscover who they are from heaven's perspective. Francois goes on to say in his footnotes, the authentic identity of human life is defined in the book of life or the tree of life, representing the redeemed life of our design versus the alternative tree of the knowledge of good and evil, representing mankind's identity under scrutiny and question. Okay, he says, to have your name written in the book of life simply suggests that you discover your identity there in the Zoe life redeemed by the Lamb. You may have only known yourself according to the flesh, as Simon, the son of Jonah, did, when you are really Petros, Mr. Rock. All right, now look at this in verse 21 in the mirror. Just then, Jesus began to leap with ecstatic joy in the Holy Spirit and burst out into praise. What does that do to your image of mild, meek, Casper, milk toast Jesus? Jesus began to leap with ecstatic joy in the Holy Spirit and burst out into praise. Oh, my Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I mirror your delight. You hid these things from the eloquent scholars of the day and unveiled it to babes. Yes, Father, this joyous unveiling in human form is your glory. This is the radiance of your face. And Francois goes on to say that the actual Greek word there means much leaping with great joy, radiating joy. Well, that's pretty cool to think about Jesus doing that, about our knowing who we really are. Then verse 22, Jesus culminates this passage in Luke by saying, All things were endowed on me by my Father. No one knows the Son like the Father does, and it's not possible to know the Father unless the Son who knows him intimately unveils him to the one who wishes to see him. The only possible way to really know the Son, not by reading Scripture, not by fasting, not by doing good deeds. Jesus says the only possible way to know the Father, to know him intimately, is to know him through Jesus. The Holy Spirit of Christ in you reveals to you who the Father is. The only possible way 
to really know the Son, Jesus says, is through the Father's eye. And the only possible way to really know the Father is through the, is through the eyes of sonship. The only way to really know who you are is to discover yourself through the Father's eyes. Amy Grant has a great song called My Father's Eyes. We used to sing it a lot. It's a good song. And then this passage finishes with Jesus saying, this unveiling doesn't happen through mere academic or philosophical scrutiny. We can't learn who God is. We can't know God through academics, through philosophy. We just can't. God is relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've included us in their divine triune circle dance of love and all its many expressions, joy and peace and grace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and the faith of Jesus and compassion, mercy, all of these wonderful things. They've included us in that, and they are revealing the mysteries that have been hidden for ages to us. The Apostle Paul, former Saul, a legalistic Pharisee, they took him up to heaven. They revealed these things to him. Jesus taught him personally in the Arabian desert for years. Paul wrote these things, and now the Holy Spirit of Christ in us is revealing to us these mysteries that have still been hidden for years, and this is a time of great revelation. It's just sweeping the world today. There are people in every town and community all across the world that are getting these revelations of God's goodness and that God the Father is exactly like Jesus. And that's all good. So I want to thank you all for giving me the opportunity to share these things with you. Many of you know that I've got a new book that's coming out in a few weeks. That It's called the same name as this podcast, Grace to All. And in it, I have a couple of pages about 80-some people that I've interviewed on this podcast. Many of you have heard some of them. Some of you have heard all of them. You've been with me from the beginning, and some of you have gone back and listened to them. And it's about these 80 different people around the world, a lot in the United States, but also in England and Germany and Australia, New Zealand, other places. I forget where all now. People who are getting this revelation of the unconditional love and grace of God, the fatherhood of God, Jesus' finished work at the cross and inclusion, and have their own little small groups, in some cases churches, but churches much different than the ones that many of us were involved in before. And they have online groups and teachings and videos and courses and different things, most of them free, where we can get together online, where we can fellowship with each other, where we can share these mysteries that we're receiving, and then we can go out and help other people, revealing things to them. One of the things that we're doing, in addition to doing this online, is through our Grace Restoration team, helping in particular single parents, helping them financially, spiritually through these things, and relationally and in other ways too. And some of you are involved in that. And I'm just so thankful and grateful. And inside, I'm doing what Jesus did. I'm leaping with great joy with what God is revealing to people all around the world and that we're getting to participate in this and be part of it. So thank you all for joining me in a little bit of this participation. Love you all. See you all next time. Grow in grace. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.